Yes, guys, welcome back to another episode of Teams Like Brighton. And just to start off the podcast, everyone, it's great news. Two lots of great news, even. Firstly, we are on podcast streaming sites everywhere you can think of. Spotify, Apple, Amazon. We can rejoice. It's only taken us nearly towards the end of the season, but we've got there, ladies and gentlemen. And secondly, and most importantly, Gross is here to stay. All hail to Kaiser. What a guy. He's here to stay for two more years. Richie, what are your thoughts? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, fantastic. Fantastic news for, for him and the club. Um, he's not far off, I think, 200 appearances now for, for Brighton. So he'll be, you know, entering some uh, illustrious territory and it's well-deserved. And, you know, it's been said so many times, but the fact that he's signed for three million or so uh, from Ingolstadt, I think in, in 2017. Yep. And he's scored, you know, uh, is it is he joint top? Is he? No, is he 23, 23 goals maybe? And, and I think more than 30 assists. Um, and and also just, just wind the clock back a little bit, you know, just over a year ago, it really did look like he would be on his way out of Brighton because he just... He was on the fringes. Um, I, I can't quite remember. I think it was it was West Brom away in the FA Cup, January 2022, and I think he was given a fairly rare start. And he was, you know, he was pretty good in that game. It was a good reminder that he's still, you know, a good player. But it was seen as like he's maybe a, a good squad player to have, not a key player going forward. Obviously, he was out of contract in the summer. And fast forward to now, he's. He's just brilliant. Like, I mean, I guess, well, he was, Tom will contest that he's always been brilliant, but he's maybe been overlooked and, and not fully appreciated. And I think that's very fair. He's definitely an underrated uh, player in the team. And, and I think it's a lot of it is purely down to the fact that he's slow. But he's got so much kind of, his footballing IQ is off the charts. He can play in any single, basically every position, uh, Deserby has frequently said he's, you know, a pleasure to work with and uh, is one of the secrets of Brighton. Um, I'll just read a little quote here from uh, Deserby. I'm absolutely delighted that Pascal has agreed a new contract with us. He is one of the best players I've worked with during my career. And I'm betting Tom is smiling away right now. <laughs> and every day I appreciate him more and more. He is one of the secrets to Albion's success. So, yeah, great that he's... Um, because obviously he signed a two-year deal last summer, and now he's added an extra year onto that. So he'll be, I think, 34 by the time that contract runs out. Um, but he's one of those players who just keeps chugging along, and um, the performances don't seem to drop. So yeah, fantastic bit of business. Uh, and now I'll hand over to Tom for a 35-minute <laughs> love story. <laughs> look, look, I'll, I'll keep it short and sweet as I possibly can, because we... We'll talk more about the FA Cup, but Pascal Gross is, for me, the best bit of business we have done in the Premier League era. This is a guy that got our Premier League scoring tally going against West Brom. And blimey, that was a great strike as well, just thinking about it. He's also the reason why we stayed up that season. That header against Manchester United and goal line technology coming into it as well. Absolute scenes. My mate threw me down three rows of seats and I was still elated despite the fact that my body was black and blue in the morning totally worth is your, it is he still your friend 
He still is my friend. <laughs> that sounds like vicious assault. <laughs> Do you, the funny thing is about that is I said to him, Pascal Gross is going to score today. I said I said that. I said that and I backs him to score any time. And he says, if he scores the goal, keeps us up, I'm going to throw you down the row of seats because I'm going to be really annoyed that you've won. And he did. He kept his word to it. So fair play to him. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't care. I think I think it was more the fact that I had a few drinks. <laughs> it, it, it cushioned the fall and then it hurt the next day. But still, <laughs> I'm digressing. This is a guy that was so instrumental for us in the Chris Hutton era. He was someone that was so versatile under Graham Potter. And he's someone who's so reliable under Deserby. And yes, we could talk about how Gross got some criticisms. And, and yes, he did. He, he was criticised. But a lot of these people that were criticising him were just seeing about the stats, about how slow he is, and really didn't really see what he contributed. He didn't see about the half spaces he created. He didn't, you didn't see the amount of chances and the key passes he made every single game without fail. You didn't see how he was able to read the game, how he was able to instruct the midfield. There was so much to his game in the mental aspect and off the ball perspective that it just for so many people, and I'm going to call them out for this, that they're nothing more than just FIFA obsessed ultimate team players that just focus on six or seven different stats criteria and an overall card that they just don't appreciate the tactical side of it. And that is why Pascal Gross was so essential for Potter when he came in and for Deserby. Now he's here. So, and like you said, like what Deserve is saying, like he he's a fantastic player to be around in. And he's someone that can support on the wings. He's someone who can provide that extra sort of like shadow striker role for the forwards. He's someone that could contribute any way he can in that final third. And he's instrumental in doing that without sacrificing much space in the cent- centre of the park either. He's someone who's been forced to play right back, left back, centre mid. Sometimes he's played right wing as well. He He's been moved from pillar to post and every time he's done that with just the utmost of professionalism. And while some people say last season, like he should be a squad player, I've always insisted that Pascal Gross should be one of the people that is the first name on the on the score on the uh, team sheet because he is so essential. He's so effective on the ball and off the ball as well. And it just goes so it's so underappreciated at times. I'm I'm amazed that we're not talking about why Pascal Gross shouldn't be in the German national team. And indeed, that's something that Adam Lallana has talked about. And if we're talking about football intellects, then, you know, you you, you could take Adam Lallana's words as, you know, gospel, really. That that guy is so intelligent when it comes to talking about the beautiful game. And when he's saying about someone that should be pipped alongside the likes of um, Gundawang and uh, Massilia, then yes... (laughs) Take it as it is. Pascal Gross is an unbelievable footballer, and I'm I'm delighted that we've got him for another two years. There, that wasn't 35 minutes; that was five. <laughs> Love it. Right. So, without further ado, let's talk about the big game this weekend: Brighton, Manchester United, FA Cup semi-final, Wembley. Doesn't get much better than that. So, obviously, there's lots to to unpack. But Tom, can we? go back in history a little bit. And can you, for those listeners who maybe don't know too much about the last time sort of Brighton got to this stage and further back in 1983, 
Um, obviously, you weren't born then, nor was I. <laughs> but uh, can you just like maybe fill the uh, you know the listeners in on on that kind of what you know about that kind of FA Cup final run and then the the final itself? Well, I th- I think there's only one way to talk about that game. Um, like 1983 was the one and only time that, as Brighton fans, we really got that trip to Old Wembley. I think we did also have a trip back in 1918, 1991 in the playoff final in, in Division 2. And that was the only chance that we actually got to gain into the, the top flight again until where we are now. So that is one thing... Um, we'll have to think about but yeah let's go back to 1983 um that one time when we we were this close to getting uh an FA Cup uh, a major trophy even um under our wings but it was something that it just what it just wasn't meant to be for us and I'm sure listeners of a certain age who would probably be able to claim that they were there um Manchester United at Wembley 99,000 people there it was two all in the first one and just really quickly it's weird that isn't it because now they just have one final whereas what was it if it was a draw it was it a replay go to a yeah. second, After... second leg or replay yeah yep yeah that's right extra uh we had extra time in this point as well um if anyone remembers oh Gordon Smith he was the one that scored for us it in the 87th minute and he was very close to giving us that legendary trophy. I think he probably saw the headlines a little bit and you have the famous commentary line and Smith must score. And he doesn't, he he was just, it's just pain wincing. And every time you just hear the name Gordon Smith, a lot of Brighton fans just wince at the opportunity, but we had this fantastic opportunity at, um, at Brian Hove Albion and there was another moment that really goes a bit unnoticed there uh, and that was in the semi-final when we went to Highbury to play against Sheffield Wednesday and none other than Mr Jimmy Case a former Liverpool player uh, joins us and a free kick set up about 30-35 yards away and he just pings it top bins top right hand corner Basically, really sets the tempo for that game. Uh, again, another fantastic, okay, fantastic moment, and it's a it's one that we always talk about um, at the as Brighton fans. Like when you think of great legendary goals, you do think of you know Stuart Storer at Hereford. You think of you know Solly March's goal to secure a promotion. You think of uh, Adam Virgo against Swindon Town in the playoff semi-finals in the old division two. And then you think of Jimmy case in 1983, that was the goal that really kind of secured our ticket into the FA cup. And it's just a shame just the way it went. It's not, it, it's the only Brighton and Hove Albion way you can only really expect of it really um, how it ended. Um, but there's always that really good bit of stat that I always remember. And it's every time it comes up in a pub quiz, I'm there with a smug look on my face just because, well, sadly, I, I, we were on the receiving end for it. And I bet you don't know this, Richie. Who is the youngest goal scorer in an FA Cup final? Michael Owen? Nope. <laughs> Because he didn't play in 1983. Fair enough. That's not a bad shout, though. Yeah, um, Norman, Norman Whiteside, aged 17 years and 17 days. So, yeah, 
that, that was one that rubbed salt in the wounds in the replay. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, that I think in that cup run, I, I believe as well, if we won that, we would be the first club ever to be both relegated and to have won a major trophy um, before Wigan went on to claim that back in 2013, back in 2013, I want to say. Um, trying to think what else now. Uh, and now you you look at where we are now. Yes, we have made a previous trip to the new Wembley Stadium in the FA Cup back in 2019 under Hewton against Manchester City, where Gabriel Jesus just heads it in after 16 minutes and then Carl Walker somehow misses a red card for a headbutt on Ali Yahambash. But this one feels different. And you only have to look at what the bookies are saying. The bookies are tipping us as slight favourites, which I'm, 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 is mind-boggling in my eyes. And you know, some other some other bookies are now tipping United as the favourite. That they're calling it. It's a close call, really, for it. But when you look at how we are playing this season and how we have been playing recently under Deserby, it's justified. It's gonna it's gonna be a tight match. We're we're, we're over in the top. We're batting for a top six finish. Which we deserve to be in. We are, we're battling for a chance to be in an FA Cup final for the first time in forty years, which we deserve to be. And it's down to all the hard work behind the scenes from all the staff, as well as the playing staff and the coaching staff. And we're just going to be got people that are just living in the moment. And I cannot wait for it. Cannot wait for it. I am tired. The fact that I'm so excited. If you can see the bags in my eyes right now, ladies and gentlemen, I can tell you for a fact that I, I probably need about a week's sleep just because I'm too excited. I'm like a kid at Christmas now, Richie, going going to Wembley Stadium. Oh, I cannot wait. Yeah, just just on the point about the, the bookies and stuff like that, you know, I, I, I heard that um, on Gary Neville's Sky podcast, uh, he said it's a real 50-50 game. Um, I've seen Chris Sutton say that um, Brighton will win. Uh, I think even Mark Lawrenson is tipping um, Brighton to win. Um, yeah, this this is, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get a bit more information uh, a little bit later because we've got a, a view from the opposition, uh, the Man United view. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, Brighton are, are, you know, looking very positive at the moment. You know, it's not sure that they... they they fully deserve to beat Chelsea. Great response after this appointment against Tottenham. Manchester United do have injuries. Uh, you know, we're recording this on the Thursday, so we're. Um, I think Marcus Rashford is could be fit, maybe fit for the weekend, which is from a Brighton perspective is maybe worrying because he is has been you know fantastic this season. But they are without their two main centre backs in uh, Varane and Martinez. Um, so, you know, we, likes of Welbeck and uh, Matoma might have a chance to run at Harry Maguire, which might be fun. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this is, this is. Um, I, I, I saw comments from, from Lewis Dunk basically saying that, as, as you said, Tom, Brighton are very, in a very different place from where they were a few years ago. They, they believe in themselves. They back themselves. They have the ability to cause uh, Manchester United all sorts of problems. Um, I just think it, I, I think Brighton can definitely can definitely beat them. I just think it's a matter of will they be overawed or a bit 
rabbits in the headlights on on this big stage. I, th I think Lewis Dunk has um, has previously said that uh, they weren't overawed when they lost to City last time out. So that will obviously be very fresh in his mind, I guess. Um, uh, yeah, I just really hope that Brighton can deliver because this is, I think this is a really good opportunity because obviously there's the behemoth that is Manchester City on the other side of the draw and they will most probably beat Sheffield United. No disrespect to them. But United are beatable. And as we say, they've got Sevilla tonight on Thursday um, and then only got a few days recovery. We've already... You know, a squad that's already missing, I think, more than half a dozen or so key players, um, or important players. So, again, this is uh, much like the season as a whole. This match is a good opportunity for Brighton to really, um, you know, test their credentials. And I, I, I yeah, I'm still just because of you know united the fact that they've won the carabao cup this season and and you know they have that nouse there um but I, yeah this is a really good opportunity and i hope that they they take it um one we'll go just going back to to gross so obviously brighton do have a couple of injury issues or a few i should say um it looks like evan ferguson and joel veltman will be out of the match because they picked up injuries in the win over chelsea last weekend Adam Lallana is still out injured. Obviously, Jakob Mode is still a long-term absentee with his ACL injury. Uh, Jeremy Salmiento has a metatarsal problem. Tarek Lamptey is still out of his knee issue. So Brighton also don't have the depth that they probably would like. So and I think we touched upon it a little bit, Tom, uh, earlier in the week. But probably means Gross going to right back, potentially in CISO coming up behind... Um, Welbeck or an extra body in midfield? How do you how do you see it going? I I, I think that's exactly how um, I'm seeing it. I, yeah, I'm I'm guessing it's going to be Sanchez in goal as per what Deserbi said in the past. Gross Gross at right back, and I think Inciso's probably staked a claim to say I, I I'm ready to start. And I think what 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 way to start in an FA Cup semi final in front of ninety thousand at Wembley? Uh, I, I mean, I know, I know it may be a bit naive and ignorant of me to say this, but I think everyone always dreams of playing at Wembley Stadium, regardless of where you are, where you're from, or what capacity or what level of football you play at. I think everyone always set wants to have that moment of saying, "I've been to Wembley Stadium. It's the home of football." Um, after all, literally the home of football. But I, I do think that we're seeing in CISO starting. I think the way he's been playing has been fantastic. And I think the message that he sent, that Zerbi sent out after the Chelsea win uh, speaks volumes. And I think it'll be the perfect opportunity to see him really kind of being thrown in the deep end here of we've got a chance here to go into a cup final. And I think a lot of the players are going to be up for it. And I and I think it's probably going to be down to because of what happened against Charlton in the EFL Cup. If we won that, we would have played United in the quarterfinals. And again, at that point, I think we would have had a good chance then. And we know what happened. United went on to win the EFL Cup. 
Tot- and you know they totally deserved it. They were they were just fantastic on their day. So I think what we've got here is a situation where the, all the players are going to have that team talk and be like, we missed out on Wembley. We, we all know that we could have gone on to win it, uh, go on to a final. We could have given United a run for their money. This is our opportunity now to kind of say, congrats on winning on that cup, but the FA Cup is ours. So whether or not we go on and beat City in the final, that I think that's another foregone conclusion. But at the very least, we deserve to be in the FA Cup final. And I think that kind of mentality is going to be shown from the boys on the pitch next season, uh, next season and on Sunday. So, yeah, can't wait. I, I can't wait, Richie. Can't wait. <laughs> just a bit of breaking news for you, actually. Uh, I've just seen, um, well, it might not be breaking, actually. No, actually, yeah, six minutes ago. <laughs> uh, Brighton have a couple of new dates in their diary, fixtures-wise. So, uh, obviously, we've Brighton were, I think, supposed to play uh, Newcastle back in March, maybe. Um, yeah. But that is now taking place on Thursday, the 18th of May, kickoff 7.30pm, live on Sky Sports. Ouch. And then a few days later, on Sunday, the 21st of May, they host Southampton at the Amex, kickoff 2pm. So that is... Um, and we still, still got to play Manchester City. Um, hopefully in two games. Um, but in the league, that still hasn't been decided yet. So at the moment, Brighton have in uh, May. So you on. I heard a rumour that that's going to be in between the Southampton Villa game as well, according to social media. That's that's tasty. Well, I mean, I guess this is good preparation for if Brighton want to get Europe next season, you know. Sunday, Wednesday, Tuesday, whatever. Um, but yeah, so in, if we look, just look at the, the fixture list for, for May, you've got uh, Manchester United on May the 4th. Yep. Um, that's a Thursday. Then on the Monday, the bank holiday, the 8th of May, Everton. Then the following Sunday, it's away at Arsenal, May the 14th. Uh, and then obviously the changed date. So um, Newcastle on the 18th and then Southampton on the 21st and then currently 28th for Villa uh, but then obviously at some point need to get Man City and so that's you know seven fixtures or so so that's a busy old month that is a, um, that is a busy end of season month so Brighton will hopefully I don't know if this will be the case but I'd love to see potentially Lalana coming back hopefully Lamptey as well Ferguson and Veltman um, but the, yeah, the games really do come thick and fast. Uh, so actually, right, this is one thing I want to ask you, Tom. Go on, gun to your head moment win the FA Cup or Champions League qualify? Win the, F- win the FA Cup, yeah, win, win the FA Cup, win the FA Cup every single time. Every single time, I, I, I you know, I we. I got to be honest. Like the Champions League is like the creme de la creme of European football, or probably the whole of club football, really. But to have that moment and say we won a major trophy, we've got a trophy in our trophy cabinet, and 
really kind of like sh- give it the finger gestures to you know the likes of Bill Archer and you know David Velocity through the grave. Um, it, I, I think it's I, I think that speaks volumes to what we have done from the verge of extinction to potentially winning a trophy. I think that speaks more volumes than the fact of oh yeah we've done Champions League once, and I think the Champions League will. Will I think that'll be a, a step too far? Because if you if if you believe what what we're reading that Newcastle United are changing their transfer strategy in the summer because they do they do need to do it if they get Champions League football, then they need to say bring in about four or five elite signings and that's not going to be cheap. But fortunately for Newcastle, they've got money to bankroll that, and fortunately for them, Mike Ashley was so shrewd and tight with his money that Newcastle United's financial fair play is st- probably stronger than any other club going into going into Champions League football next season. So they can afford to really splash the cash out in the summer, get exactly who they need in, gel them in and away they go. For us, it's a bit different because one, because we, we know our limits. We know we know where we are um, financially. I think we've got one of the weakest. I think somewhere along the line, I, think, I, I want to say we're in the 17th or 16th um, in terms of financial budgets. I might be totally wrong there, but you look at how we are going financially. I think we're, we're I think so. It's really quick. I think we are. I, I think I saw some stats earlier this season saying we have the second cheapest assembled squad. Yeah, that's right. It's pretty impressive. 13 yeah. in seventh. So you see what we're doing and you see all these articles about how Tony Bloom's very much engrossed in the whole data approach and how we decide on um, the scouting strategies and how we sign plays. And it works. And, you know, we've got, we've uncovered some incredible gems in some very nuanced places. Matoma for starters. And, you know, we've got some promising players coming through and on loan, you know, Simon Adingra is pulling the strings over at Union Saint-Jouar. So, you know, we're, we're again, we're in this position where we could be really excited for the future, but we do know our statue, we do know our limitations here. And if we get Champions League football, it don't get me wrong, it'd be great. And I'll really enjoy those six matches. But knowing that we could have potentially got fought for a trophy, that always be on the back of my mind. And it's something that, you know, as fans will remember, but I really want us to really stamp ourselves in history and say, yeah, Brighton Hove Albion, FA Cup champions that season. And they were a great team. Sounds good. So we're going to segue on to uh, Manchester United now, and we're going to speak to George Smith of Manchester Evening News to get some insight on Brighton's upcoming opponents. Right, and joining us is Manchester Evening News' very own George Smith and uh, one of our returning guests as well. George, how are you doing? I'm not bad at all, Tom. How about yourself? Yeah, very good, thank you. Let's dive straight in, shall we? FA Cup semi-final, Wembley appearance, and it's safe to say that there's a lot rising on this probably for United as well. How important is it for United to get a result at Wembley? Well, I think there's obviously 
obviously a, a fondness now for the clamour for silverware at Old Trafford. Obviously, they, they won the Carabao Cup in back in February. Obviously, the first trophy that Eric Tanhal could have won and he got that one. Obviously, there's a there's a real clamour to add more to the collection before the end of the season. Obviously, we're, we're recording this on Thursday afternoon. United have got a big Europa League quarterfinal to come, second leg against Sevilla this evening. And then, obviously, on to Brighton on Sunday. So, you know, if things go United's way over the next few days, they, they could still win the chance of ending the season with three trophies. So, there's certainly a lot of significance on Sunday's game for United. There's a real hunger for trophies again at the club after, obviously, several years of misery and disappointment. And Eric Ten Hag has come in. He's completely transformed the culture of the football club. He's a, he's a manager that prides himself on winning whatever the opposition, whatever the competition he wants to win. That, that's been really clear throughout the season. Excuse me, because if you if you look at the teams he's named throughout competitions this season, particularly in the early stages of the Europa League, when they were... You know, they were playing the likes of Sheriff Tiraspol, um, Omonia and Nicosia from Cyprus. It was strong star-studded teams. So there is a clamour to, to win every single game. And Sunday, of course, is going to be no different. Depending on how things go on, on Saturday and the other semi-final, it could be an opportunity to set up an all-Manchester FA Cup final for the first ever time. So it's going to be a really interesting game. But United will be under no illusions. They know they're going to be in for a really tough test against a very, very good Brighton side. So it's going to be a big one for United. It's one they'll want to win. It's one they will look at and think we've got a chance here to, you know, get into another cup final, a domestic cup final. And they, they won't take this line down. They'll be up for it and they'll be really, really keen to progress. You obviously, you touched upon uh, Ten Hag there. First game, I think, of his United tenure was the defeat to Brighton at Old Trafford back in August. Um, how has he transformed the club since then? Very good question. That is a good question. A lot has changed since that Brighton game, and that seems such a long time ago. And I really, to be honest with you, where, where to start? I think obviously at that point of the Brighton defeat, the last time obviously Rich, you will have seen United probably up close and personal. Things were very, very different. Obviously, Casemiro had not come in. Um, Chris Eriksen, I think, played as a false nine that day. You know, Lissandro Martinez made his debut. Rafael Varane didn't play. So, a lot of things for both clubs, of course, have changed since then. But for United, the big thing is is the whole mentality of the football club has been transformed this season by Eric Ten Hag. You know, he's had to face a lot of obstacles along the way. The Cristiano Ronaldo saga just before the World Cup. You know, the Harry Maguire problems of people continuously blasting him. He made the decision to take his captain out of the team. Uh, Marcus Rashford, you know, has been sensational but at the same time back in I think it was New Year's Eve in fact when they played Wolves at Molyneux Rashford was obviously in the form of his life at that point still is now Ten Hag made the decision to take him out of the team because he was late for a team meeting so discipline has been a real key factor in the transformation of the club this season he's gone in there wiped the slate clean and laid down the gauntlet and said look we're going to do this my way do it my way we're going to we're going to be successful and so far to a degree I think that's been proven correct you know they've They've won a trophy. They, they look on course to finish in the top four. And they could still have two more trophies to, to their collection before the season ends. So, you know, there's a lot of hurdles to jump yet. But if they were to end the season with three trophies and a top four finish, it would be a remarkable achievement, to be quite honest, with the problems that he's had to face. But I think, just to, to sum up in what he's done, is he's just completely transformed the culture of the football club. The players have bought into his idea they understand his hunger and determination to win. And that's been reflected in the sort of players that he's brought in. Casemiro, obviously, a proven winner. He's won everything that, he, you know, everything that can be won. He won at Real Madrid. 
Lissandro Martinez came in from Ajax last summer. People ridiculed him from the word go because of his size. He's been absolutely immense and it's unfortunate he's now out for the rest of the season, which is a really damaging blow, especially with Rafael Varanka on his sideline as well. So, he, you know, that that's kind of what he's done. He's brought in players who are hungry, who have got a point to prove. And that's been the difference from last season where United, there was kind of a an acceptance that they weren't, they weren't the club they used to be. Whereas this year, they are on the road back to being that club again. And Ten Hag, as I've said, he, he's transformed everything from the ground upwards. He's made some ruthless decisions at times. And I think that's what's been needed. You know, United for too long, they've, they've pandered to player power. There's been a lot of that in recent years. You look at the likes of Ronaldo, Paul Pogba, those sort of names. Whereas now there is a real sense of harmony within the group and that all extends from the manager. Uh, George, you mentioned him just there um, in your answer, Marcus Rashford. Uh, it's safe to say he's having probably the best season of his life right now. And there is a bit of a question mark over him possibly playing in Europa League and maybe even the semi-final. Could you give us an update regarding whether or not he's able to play and just how important he has been this season for United? Well, obviously, he's been sensational. The numbers of you know speak for themselves. 27 goals, 10 assists this season. It's been a phenomenal turnaround for a player that last season looked bereft of confidence. I think he scored five goals last season. So, to have come out this year and scored 27 so far is an unbelievable achievement. In answer to your question on his availability, um, as I said earlier on, we're doing this Thursday afternoon, a few hours before the Sevilla game. Eric Ten Hag spoke to the media last night. He was named in the 21-man squad that's travelled to Seville. Ten Hag did stress, though, that a decision would be made on him today uh, ahead of kickoff to see if he plays. But I think the fact he's been included in the squad kind of suggests he's going, you know, going to play some part at the very least, whether he'll start or not. I don't know. Personally, I think I would be of the mind, based on what I saw from Sevilla last week, even though they did manage to claw it back to 2-2, that I think it would be possibly wise to save Rashford for the weekend if, you know, United can get away with not using him tonight. Because in my opinion, the Brighton game has been a lot tougher um, Severe obviously were very poor for the best part of the game at Old Trafford last week before getting a couple of own goals to get a help in hand but I would expect Rashford to play at least some part this evening but I would be very surprised if he didn't start you know unless there's any further setbacks or any reoccurrences that he doesn't start on Sunday obviously he's the man that Brighton are going to have to watch out for he's been incredible this season the numbers speak for themselves as I said oozing confidence and you know every time he gets in around the box you expect him to score and for Brighton, I think they'll be looking at it as the, the one they've got to try and stop. You obviously you've talked about Rashford there. Um, say if he didn't play, uh, from a Brighton perspective, Touchwood, um, if he didn't play at the weekend, how good is this United team without Rashford, or are they a bit of you know a bit limited without him, maybe? Well, there's been very, very few occasions when they've been without him this season. To be fair, he's, he has proven his fitness quite well this year. I think there's only about four or five games that he's not featured in. But, for example, recent example, last weekend, Sevilla looked very good, you know, for the first 60, 70 minutes of that game before they fell apart at the very, very end. And they did look really confident in attack without him. It was the same story at Nottingham Forest on Sunday when Jaden Sancho started on the left-hand side in his place. So, United, you know, have got players who can fill in for him. But, of course, he's been their main source of goals this season. For all of the success United have enjoyed so far this year, scoring goals has been an issue. I think they're the lowest scorers of the top five or six in the Premier League this season. So, 
they have relied heavily on their defence to win games this year. Without a goal threat, Anthony's slowly improving and going up to the gears. Anthony Martial, fitness obviously has been a big issue for him this season, but when he has played, he has been quite a good source of goals for Ten Hag. Ten Hag really likes Martial. But without Rashford, they do look a little bit leggy in attack. So if, for whatever reason, he doesn't feature on Sunday, that will be a big boost for Brighton. But of course, United have got players to fill in, but they aren't as deadly in front of goal. That's the issue. Uh, George, uh, again, for, for us, it's it's quite a significant match. It's, it's a bit bonkers, really. Looking at some of the bookies, they're actually back in Brighton as the favourites, granted the slight favourites going into this match. From your perspective, could, would you say that that price is justified considering Brighton's rise at the moment under De Zerbi, or do you think it's uh, it's flirting with temptation there a bit too much? No, I don't think so. I think, it, you know, on paper, I think it's going to be a very tight game. I think both sides, you know, in their respective rights have enjoyed good seasons for their own reasons. And, you know, I don't there's a lot to split these teams. Brighton, of course, have been exceptional all season long, particularly in, you know, the last few months under De Zerbi. Obviously, a brilliant result at Chelsea last weekend. But I think an FA Cup semi-final, of course, there's, there's that added element to it. You know, a bit of unpredictability. Wembley, you know, it's a whole different kettle of fish. But personally, I don't think there's much to separate these two teams. And I wouldn't be surprised if it went all the way to penalties. So, in some aspects, I can see why Brighton would be considered favourites because they've got a lot going for them. Playing some really, really nice football at the moment. United a little bit stretched on the injury front at the minute. That must be stressed. United have got a lot of injuries at the moment, but at the same time, they have still got a lot of quality you know, quality players who are available. So I think it's what the making has been a good game, but I, I certainly don't think it'll be you know, a, a walk in the park for either team. I think it's got the ingredients to be quite a close and cagey affair. So looking forward, it should be a good one. Uh, and final one from me, George. Um, in your opinion, of the three trophies that, you know, um, well, those are, they've won one, they could potentially win the Europa League and the FA Cup, and obviously won't qualify for the Champions League. Which of the three do you think Ten Hag will prioritise? And what is your score prediction for this weekend? Two difficult questions there, Rich. Really putting me on the spot with that one. Um, priority. Mm. Oof, that is a really hard question because, as I said earlier on, Ten Hag, he wants to win everything. It's become clear, he, you know, he is a he's a winning monster. He wants to win everything, but I think personally, I think to win a European trophy would be obviously United want the Champions League, that the European Cup, that's the main one for a club of that size. They don't want to be playing in the Europa League any longer than they have to. But I think to win a European trophy would obviously give them the guarantee of Champions League football for next season. Should you know their top four hopes fall apart over the next few weeks. The FA Cup, of course, would be nice. It's you know it's considered a little bit more, a bit more exciting than the League Cup, isn't it nowadays? And you know if they won a domestic double, that would be really impressive. So personally, I think they want to win both. But if I had to choose one, I think personally, on my perspective, I'd prefer to see them go for a European trophy. I think a European crown in your first season in charge, even though it's not the one they necessarily want, would you know would be quite impressive. As for a score prediction for Sunday. As I said earlier on to Tom, I think it'll be really, really tight. Uh, I'm going to go for 2-1 United, just to edge it, but I think it'll be very, very close. So, I'm going to go with 2-1 to the Reds, but as I say, I don't think there'll be much to split them, and I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, extra time went the full distance. Maybe even to penalties, possibly, who knows, but 
like I say, I think it'll be a tough game for both teams. Don't think either either side are able to walk in the park on Sunday afternoon. Tom, what about you? I've got a feeling it's going to go all the way to penalties. I've got 2-2 in my head. 2-2 at full time and Lord knows what will happen, extra time and penalties. Uh, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to put the optimistic head on and say Brighton to win on penalties. After, so what, after two all? After two all. Nice. Yeah, um, I think yeah, I think it's going to be uh, really, really close. I think yeah, I think it could go the way. I think one all, and then I just think United's extra nous in these sorts of situations might see them through on penalties. So yeah, one all, but you know to go through. But hopefully, hopefully I'm wrong. Well, there you have it, guys. There you are. Well, George, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate your time there. Um, get, give us uh, a shout out on your Twitter handle so people can follow you. Yeah, absolutely. It's at underscore George Smith 99. There we go. And George, once again, thank you so much for your time. Uh, in, enjoy Wembley if you're going. Um, if not, enjoy it on the screen. And remember, guys, keep on watching, like, subscribe, and uh, be sure to follow teams like Brighton, now available on all various podcast platforms. And Richie is very, very happy about that. <laughs> Take care, guys. Have a good one and enjoy the weekend.